And uh, I appreciate what this church is doing and what you're about, your commitment to prayer and God's word and to following his leading. And I just want you to know that somebody is noticing. Somebody's noticing. And uh, that is, I think, important. Uh, so if you want to just give each other high fives really quick, you're doing a good job. Keep up the good work, all right? Are the kids supposed to be dismissed? And is it true that he goes, that with the typical sermon goes to one o'clock? Did I understand that correctly? Or does it just seem like that? That was a joke, Tim. Don't. What time do you usually get done? I forgot to ask. Uh, Quarter till? Uh, All right. So uh, we will try not to bore anybody. And uh, if uh, you do get bored, just leave like the kids did. And that's fine with me. All right. Uh, I am so glad to be here and to represent these two ministries. Uh, the Crossroads Fellowship has been around since the 1930s, and it came out of a movement of uh, churches that got tired of arguing over simple things like, is the virgin birth real or a metaphor? And uh, there's a lot of churches in the 1930s that says, it's just a metaphor, you don't have to believe that part of the Bible. And we took issue with that. Amen. There's others that say, hey, the Bible uh, contains God's word, but the whole thing can't be true. And we took exception with that. Some took uh, the exception. We took exception to the fact that some were teaching hell is not a real place. Everyone eventually is going to go to heaven. And we took exception to that. And we pulled out of liberal denominations in 1930s and said, hey, we want a group of true Bible-believing Baptist churches that believe historically what Baptists have believed. And uh, those are just some of the things that we hold dear and true. And, uh, you know, the battle's not over. Uh, there are still people that are trying to resurrect these issues. Every once in a while, they resurrect these issues. But it's not just about what we're against or what we're trying to avoid, but there's many things we need to accomplish together as a group of churches. And hence, our message is titled today, United for a Common Cause. There's things that we are trying to accomplish through church planting, church revitalization. Every once in a while, a church gets a hiccup in its life. And uh, we see in God's Word that sometimes, uh, Philippians chapter 3 is an example of this, is every, or is it Philippians chapter 4? Every once in a while, there's dissension within the church. People are squabbling, they're trying to need help, and it just takes sometimes an outside voice to come in and say, hey, let's help you give some perspective to these issues. Every once in a while, a church loses their pastor, either because of death or he moves on to another ministry, and you need help finding a new pastor. How are you going to do that? Well, the group of churches have banded together and say, hey, let's do that. There are also common causes that we try to band around, like establishing Twin Lakes Camp, which was started in 1950 by our group of churches that say, hey, our kids need more outdoor Christian education. Let's band together so we can do that. Banding together for missions opportunities and efforts. Banding together for educational institutions. Uh, and so these are all things that we're trying to do as a fellowship. And my goal as our director is to have a healthy 
church in every county that's part of our fellowship, that's actively engaged in our fellowship. And uh, by God's grace, we'll got, we're going to get that accomplished, but it's going to be one church at a time, one county at a time, and then also helping to uh, keep our churches healthy uh, and working alongside our pastors. Now, your church is totally independent. You can say, hey, we don't want to do what you guys are doing, and you're welcome to do that. You're welcome to listen as much or little as you would like. You're independent. But uh, I think God has made it, his, or, or God has made it our goal to be unified together. That's a part of what the Holy Spirit's all about, working with the Father and working with the Son, united in one. And that's one of the things that Jesus prayed, uh, is that we would be united as one, just as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are united as one. He wants us, as believers, this congregation, to be united together. But I think there's a bigger aspect of that where he wants us to be united together with other Bible-believing churches. It's not just uh, isolated Baptist church. We're independent, which is good and healthy. Isolated, I think, is of the devil. See, the devil, is Satan's goal is to divide and separate. Hey, if you're married, how many married people do we have here today? You know what, God, what Satan's goal is for you? To divide your family. There's nothing more that he would like to see than mom and dad split up and divide the family. His goal is that you as a congregation would split up and divide and be at odds with one another. That's why we need to make every effort to keep the unity in the bond of peace with our church. It takes effort. And also he wants us, he wants to, Satan wants to divide us from one church to another. It's for you to feel isolated, that you're doing it all by yourself. In fact, Elijah had that problem. Remember when he's on the mount and he's defeated uh, Baal and the prophets of Baal and he's on the mountain, he's underneath that tree getting refreshed by the angels. Remember that story? And he says basically, hey, I'm the only one, God, that's staying faithful to God's word. And God says, no, I, I want to remind you, there are hundreds of faithful prophets in Israel you're not standing by yourself. When he felt isolated, he felt so disconnected. In fact, he said, I'd be better off if I was just dead. And God had to remind him, you're not fighting this alone. And your congregation is not fighting this battle alone. And we do have a battle that we're fighting. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, about forces of evil in high places. These are all things that we're battling, and we want to, as a group of churches, to band together and do this together. And uh, I'm glad that you guys are re-engaging with the fellowship, and that's a good thing. I so appreciate, I don't know uh, how many of you know this, but your church voted this last year to, to send money and to support the fellowship, uh, not only through your activity and sending Tim and others to our conferences that we have, but also financially so that we can do more for the glory of God. And uh, we challenged our churches, that, and there's three new churches that are supporting us uh, like you guys are yourself. We're uh, looking to raise more money as uh, we have so many churches in need right now. I've got three churches that's been looking for over two years for a pastor to come lead their congregation. Can you imagine two years without pastoral leadership? And uh, some, we have several churches that are running in the teens. And what are we going to do to help those churches 
uh, either close well, which is what we don't want to do, or to do some changes that are necessarily to, uh, to advance the kingdom of Christ. And, and what can we do together? And we want to talk about what that means to be united for a common cause. I'm also the director of Twin Lakes Camp. God's been blessing the camp ministry so well. We're so excited about what God's doing through Twin Lakes Camp and Conference Center. Uh, we've got a great summer planned. We have uh, our registrations right now are at a record pace. We've never had this many kids registered this time of year as we've had so far. Uh, and uh, we're just excited. Uh, we got our new building up. The activity center is up and being used. We were able to use that a little bit last summer. Uh, more of that building's been done now and accomplished. And the glory to God that we were not only to have a good, with 2020 and 2021 being so uh, hiccupish in so many areas, that we were able to not only keep the camp going and doing well and meeting all our financial needs, but also to build a brand new $1.4 million building through COVID. That's a God thing, don't you think? There's no way that you could on paper ever say this is possible and God has done some incredible things, not only through our building, but also changing lives. I met a, uh, a young man two weeks ago, was at one of our uh, retreats, and he came up to me, He's, uh, he says, you know, I'm a, I'm a senior, I'm in my last year of seminary, and he had this little yellow card he popped out, and he says, I filled this card out as a junior hire here at camp that said, I don't know what you want me to do, God, but whatever it is, I'm willing to do it. And he'd kept that in his Bible for these last eight years or so, and uh, now he's about ready to go into the pastorate. And that is so cool, isn't it? This the weekend right now, there's a pastor, uh, one of their youth pastors uh, that are there that um, came to camp and made decisions at camp to follow God at camp, and now he's serving as youth pastor. God is not only doing good things by just having students there, but he's changing lives. He's calling people into ministry, but not only the vocational ministry, but just being faithful servants of God in their churches where they're at. And uh, this video, I want to show you a video from last summer that shows some testimonies of what kids uh, are going through and experiencing. And uh, so we need the video. We worship in chapel, and we were singing. It just hit me really hard. But tonight, as we were doing worship in chapel, and we were singing, it just hit me really hard how much God loves us. Something that I've really grown in this past week here is learning how to be a Christian. What being a Christian and having the Holy Spirit in you, what that does to change your day-to-day -day life and how you think and how you act. It's when you are constantly submerged in what a walk should look like, when you are praying every morning, and when you are reading the Word, and you, when you are going to chapel, and when you are singing and pouring your heart out to the Lord, it is, is something special entirely. God takes particular pleasure in you. I've learned this week that I need to move my confidence from myself. We have to put our trust first and foremost in God. Coming to Twin Lakes, it's really showed me that no matter where I am, no matter the situation, God is always there. God this week surrounded me with people that were just really encouraging and loving and positive influences. Because God loved us, we love Him. Because God loved us, we are to love others the way that He loves them.
encouraged by my counselors and by everyone here at Twin Lakes that there are people in this world that will give up months of their summers to devote to investing in me who's a you know struggling and broken teenager and they're willing to invest in us and care about us and listen to us. I want to be a person that when people look at me they see the love of Christ. What a great testimony that is, isn't it? When people look at us, they should see the love of Jesus Christ through our bodies. And if she has that kind of testimony the rest of her life, that life being changed is what it's all about at Twin Lakes Camp. We don't want to just have uh, a great week of, uh, of a summer, but we want uh, lives to be changed, people to be more like their, his son, Jesus Christ, in the way they think and interact and in their attitudes to be like Christ in all these areas that's our goal. And uh, thank you for your church's commitment to getting children, getting your teens uh, to Twin Lakes Camp and the financial commitment you've made for that. Uh, again, we appreciate that. Um, um, so there is uh, information on the uh, table back there. If you haven't received one of these yet, uh, you can get that. There's also a poster on the inside that has our summer theme about two kingdoms. We'll be talking about that more in a little bit. Uh, on the back table also is some information about uh, the Crossroads Fellowship. Grab one of those if you'd like to know more. Uh, continue to pray for us and what we're trying to accomplish as a fellowship. Uh, on October 1st, I don't know if you got this on your calendars yet or not, but we're having a Disciple Makers training event uh, in uh, Crawfordsville, Indiana. And uh, we've got training that's going to be available for small group leaders or Sunday school teachers uh, on how to do that ministry better. And then also a children's workers conference. And uh, we uh, see this as one of our uh, good areas that we can uh, cover is how to work more effectively with our children's ministries. How do we do that? And so there'll be a workshop. And if you're interested in that, there is information on the table about those workshops coming up October 1st. It's just $25, includes lunch and uh, some child care, which we have uh, the mega meet coming up and some really cool things happening with that. So uh, I encourage you to take advantage of that. Are you ready to dig into God's word? Probably talked long enough about other stuff. Let's get into God's word. Can I pray as we uh, one more time before we open his word? Father, uh, we thank you for all the good things going on here at Trinity Baptist Church and for the dear children of God that you've called to be part of this ministry. And I pray you'll continue to bless this church. Help them as they seek to uh, share your word, not only amongst each other, but with a community that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ so very, very uh, much. Father, I pray that you'll help bring people to saving knowledge of your word, we pray that you'll help people to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Help them to be unified in the areas that you ask them to be unified in. And Father, help them to submit to authority uh, as they need to do that. Uh, Father, I pray that the gospel witness here will continue for many years to come and be broadcast to others. Maybe this church could even be a church planting church someday. And so, Father, raise up a congregation that has those kind of goals, leadership that can lead well, and people that just 
keep Christ at the center of their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, if you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, that's where we want to start today. And as we start, I just want to ask some questions. Uh, uh, so I, I'm a camp guy. If we could do this around a campfire, this would be a perfect church meeting. So uh, trustees, can we build a fire in the middle? Probably not. Let's just veto that right now. But uh, I like interaction. I'm a participation type of pastor. And so uh, I'm going to ask you some questions. And if you could just get out of your comfort zone a little bit and participate, maybe uh, Pastor Tim does this with you as well. I'm not sure. But uh, my, uh, uh, my sermon has uh, three basic points today. I don't know if you take notes at camp. We like to take notes to share with others, and it helps keeps us engaged. I'm not sure if you do that here, but three points. We're going to have the expectation that Paul has for us, the exhortation that he's going to give us to change from that expectation, and then he's going to give us four examples on how to live it out in our own lives, being united for a common cause. And um, this week... Uh, if you've done one of these, th these things, I just want you to indicate that, either mentally or uh, verbally, or raise your hand, whatever. But how many of you have been encouraged by the things of God this week? You found encouragement from either His Word, through prayer, or from another person in this congregation? Anybody been encouraged this week? All right, good. See, participation is not so hard. Look, no one died. We're not calling 911, right? So we're all okay. Here, let's try it again, all right? Uh, has anyone done this this week? It says I'm connected. Ben, can you hit me one more time? Anybody feel loved this week? Loved by the congregation of God, loved by the church, loved by someone in your family? Christian love. I'm not just talking about emotional love, but I'm talking about Christian love. How many found some Christian love this week? All right, great. And the next one, Ben, is how many have seen the Spirit at work? Either through illuminating God's Word, through answering prayer, through conviction of sin. These are all th works of the Holy Spirit. How many have seen the Holy Spirit at work in your life this week? Great. So most of us have raised our hand at least once, if not three times. Did I get, the, did I get that right? Right? So here's what Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. He's going to start us off with these basic questions that he wants to ask us, and uh, so I, can, I think everybody's at Philippians except for me, and this is what God's Word says. Listen to it carefully. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, that's what we said, that's us, right? He's talking here to believers. He's talking here to the church. He's talking to us not only individually, but collectively. So think little C church and big C church, all right? Us as individuals, us together corporately. If you've had these things in your life, if this is true of you, look what it says. It says, uh, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. He wants us to be united. If these things are true in your life, then the natural outpouring is that we should be united for this common cause, and hence the title of our message. But he has an expectation. 
And it's not a good one. Look what it says in verse 3. It says uh, this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What Paul knows is human nature. Paul knows that our go-to in life is to be selfish, have rivalry amongst each other, and to be arrogant. Now, I'm not going to show, ask for a show of hands, but all of us struggle with this, right? Can we be honest? We're at church, you can't lie. Well, you could lie, but then it'd be double bad, apparently, all right? His expectation is, even though we have these things true in your life, that we'll do things for the wrong motives, we'll do things out of self-interest and self-preservation. You know, I think sometimes why pastors don't like going to pastor's meeting is because we always get asked, what, Pastor Tim? How big's your congregation? And, uh, and there's just something about us that we like to be prideful. We like to be arrogant. Because we have this human nature that we're struggling with in our lives. Jesus put it like this. This is what Jesus said. He says, the reason for this is because you're setting your mind on things of, you're not setting your things on things of God, but on things of man. It's an admonition here. Quit thinking manly ways. Think godly ways. Put your mind heavenly. Um, he says this, uh, uh, or, or this is the saying we have. We do what we do because we want what we want because we worship what we worship becomes the idol of the heart. The idol of our heart is what? Me. The idol of my heart is pride. And I do these things because of this internal pride that I have. I need to get rid of that. I have to move that out and move something else in. Um, it's called uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, calls it the renewal of our mind. We just lost everything for some reason. Did I do that? Oh, good. Got it back. Uh, that's going to be our theme this summer at camp, is the two kingdoms. Uh, our theme verse is sec, or Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Do you see how that's so close to Jesus' words? And uh, we, we get our thinking here and now, and we're not thinking the way that Jesus wants us to think. And this summer, we're going to just look at that. How's a fourth grader set his or her mind on things above, not on earthly things? Uh, high schoolers, we're just, going to have, we're just going to have such a delight talking about that there's this kingdom that we're not part of, but that we're living in the middle of. And we've got to renew our minds. We've got to think differently about the things that we're doing. We have to put off an old man, and we have to put on a new man. And what does that look like for a middle schooler? That's what we want to talk about this summer. And uh, these are so important things around us. Because Paul knows, he has this expectation that it's not normal to live our lives thinking of other people, that we want to be very selfish. 
And so he gives us then a, a, an exhortation, and that is to live our lives with compassion, concern, and care. See what it says there in verses 4 and 5 of our text. Uh, we read part of four or, or 3 already. It says, but humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourself, which was also yours in Christ Jesus. He says, don't live this way anymore. Don't live arrogantly, selfishly, but think of others. Now, my premise today, and I'm trying to try to convince you of this, that this is not only a personal command for us to live by, but a corporate command as well. That we ought to do this individually, and it all starts, all church activity starts as individuals, right? But he also wants us to live this way corporately. He wrote this to the church of Philippi. He didn't write it only to individuals, but to the church at large. And my premise is that we ought to have a personal, internal application of this, but also an external application as we consider the needs of those around us in the larger community of Jesus Christ. In fact, it also extends all the way to the church in Ukraine. There's Bible-believing people in Ukraine today that are suffering for the cause of Christ. And these things are going to be applicable to them as well. And so uh, let's see uh, how he gives us then four examples of how to live this kind of life. And this is where we're going to spend uh, the rest of our time. We only got about 15 minutes, so we're going to have to motor through a large part of the Bible or this chapter here uh, in just 15 minutes, and I think we can get it done. I like a challenge. All right, so somebody want to time me, and uh, we'll see if we get this done or not. The four examples are this. Jesus, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Okay, as he goes through this, he's going to give us these four examples. And he gives us the examples. They're examples. It's not like you have to do exactly what they do, but he's going to give us examples of an attitude that he wants us to have. Catch it that it's an attitude not the exact thing they're doing, because our context is going to be different than their context. Uh, we're not Jesus Christ. We cannot live this out like Jesus did, but we can follow his example. We can't live it out like Paul, Timothy, or Paphroditus did, but we can follow their example. And as we look at the text closely, we're going to see that there's an action and then an attitude that he wants us to follow. And so the first one is Jesus' example of humility. And look at the, let's look at these verses, 6 through 11. Let's read these and see what the example of humility looks like, and then we'll try to apply it to our lives. Verse 6 says this, Who, though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not call, count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God forever. Now this is the example he wants us to follow. We cannot live life like Jesus did. We can't empty out our godness because we're not God, right? 
Yeah, this is good participation, say right, preacher, right? We're not God. We can't do that. But we can have this example. Think of this. Jesus, the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything. He says that by my very thoughts, I keep things together. If Jesus didn't think about this world for a little bit, it'd just fall apart. It'd, it'd blow up, literally. I'm not just talking about organization. I'm talking about the atoms that hold all this together would just disappear. He holds us together. It's that critical that he'd be thinking about us. This Jesus humbled himself. And he was born a baby. Can you think of anything like more opposite than that he can't walk around someone has to carry him he can't even feed himself something has to feed him he can't clothe himself someone has to clothe him talking about living a humble life to be born like that when you created everything when you sustain everything and you can't even walk around from here to there can you imagine having to obey your parents uh, some of you struggle with that i know but can you imagine the God-man needing to obey his parents? And we see examples of that in the scriptures where he wants to do something else and he needs to obey his parents. And he says, I want you to have that kind of attitude. Have that kind of humility in your life. Now these are great verses. I think a lot of times we, we miss the example here because of all the great theology in this verse. There's so much good theology about all Christ's exaltation, his emptying himself. But the point is, he lived a life of humility. And Paul says we should live that kind of life of humility as well. That there's no one, no one, that's beneath our ability to help them out. Oh, we like to help the people who could help us out, right? Even the heathens do that, Jesus says. But to help someone who doesn't deserve it, that takes humility. Live your life like that. The next example is, uh, Paul's going to use himself as an example. Oh, here's a humility test. I forgot this important part. When you think about humility, it's easy to say, yeah, I'm humble. But ask yourself these questions. Am I humble enough to listen and learn to those around me? You can always tell a proud young person when they quit listening to the adults around him. Anybody experienced that in their lives? Either as a youth yourself or you've seen it as an adult? Am I humble enough to listen and learn? Uh, where's the old guys in the church? Stu. We grew up together. I remember going to Stu's house when I was a teenager and listening to him and his brother. I was like junior high, and I listened to him and brother play guitars, and here he is leading worship. It's like so cool. Hey, even the old guys, we have to listen and learn, don't we? That's a sign of humility. It's not just like, I'm not just talking to the young people here. Like all of us, are we humble enough to listen and learn of those around us? Uh, are we humble enough to uh, forgive and forget? We have trespassed against God in so many ways, Jesus said. 
Should we not then be able to forgive others when they trespass against us? Because ours, when people trespass against us, is such a little thing. No matter how horrific it seems to us as humans, and I'm not trivializing the mean things that, and hurtful things that people have done to your life over the years. You may have been abused verbally or physically, but that is nothing compared to the offense that we have God in our sins. Are we willing to forgive others around us? Because if we don't, that's a sign of pride, and we need to be humble in that area. Do we keep bringing it back up and lording it over people, or do we move on? Because when we keep bringing it back up, that's a sign of pride, we're not humble. And then lastly, am I humble enough to disciple and delegate? Will I take what I know and share it with others? And I found over the years in my leadership capacities that I have to humbly allow other people to know the things I know because knowledge is power, right? When we know something and people have to come to us and to disciple and let other people in on the secret, to delegate and allow other people to do things. And there's so many times where we struggle because we did not delegate the things that could be done by others and maybe even done better by others, but we do it ourselves because of pride and we won't give up pieces of ministry and life when others should be doing that as well. And so that's uh, the humility test. And my question is, are you, asking, are you walking as a humble person today? Paul's expectation is maybe not. And so that's why the exhortation is to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Paul says, uses himself as, a, as an example of joy. Let's look at that verse 12. What does it say? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but also more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for his God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. Go to verse 14 says, underline this in your Bible, if uh, you're that type of person, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. And notice the when is next. Without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, amongst whom you shine as lights of the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even as I am poured out as a drink offering among the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Notice, likewise, here's the admonition, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. It says, be like me, rejoice always. And again, I say, rejoice. Do we have joy? Do we serve with joy? Or do we serve with drudgery and out of obligation? And he says that we're supposed to do all this without grumbling or complaining. When we're asked to work in the nursery, can we do that without grumbling or complaining? When we're asked to help somebody else out, can we do that without grumbling or complaining? Boy, 
when we had mask mandates here just recently, could you do that without grumbling and complaining? Because I heard a lot of grumbling and complaining. You know why? <laughs> because we're selfish and arrogant at our very core. And all this did was reveal the inner man in us. And it, there's no out. See, when I was in junior high, I was always looking for an out. Anybody there with me? Was everybody always looking for an out? Yes, Ben's got his hand up. Thank you, Ben, for being honest, all right? We wanted an out. It's like, yes, I need to obey God. God, give me the out. And so here we are, faced with certain things, and we're like, hey, can I grumble and complain because things around me are so bad? I live in a twisted, messed up generation. Surely I can complain now, and Paul took care of that for us. Don't you hate the guy? He says, do all things without complaining or com uh, murmurings or complaining, and especially as it gets worse and worse, as the generation around you becomes more twisted and messed up, especially then, don't grumble and complain. Thank you very much, Paul. Actually, we've got to blame the Holy Spirit and God, right? He's just writing what God wanted him to write because we have this tendency to want to come and complain. And you know what it is? It's a complaint against God is who it is. That's why we can't grumble and complain because it's really complaining against God. And he says, do it joyfully. Jesus lived his life joyfully. Surely we can too. We've never had it as bad as Jesus had it. Do it without grumbling or complaining. The next one is this. Do it with concern. You need to show a little compassion. We need to care about the people around us. He's going to give Timothy as the example of that. Notice what it says. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have none like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. Here he's telling us exactly where our hearts are. We want our own interests. We're not thinking about Christ's interest. And he says we need to be concerned about those around us. As we keep reading, it says, But you know Timothy's proven worth. How's a son with a father? He has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And trust that the Lord will shortly, I myself will come. We need to have concern. Now, full disclosure, this is the area I struggle the most with. Being concerned for those around me. Because I'm selfish, just like you are. I'm self-centered, just like you are. And I struggle sometimes caring. Do I care about the churches in Ukraine right now? Do I care for the family in this congregation that's struggling with some family issue, some financial issue, some relationship issue? Because I can find myself just not caring. Do I care about the church down the road that's struggling without a pastor? 
Do I care about the church down the road who's struggling with internal conflicts? And I keep getting reminded how much I don't care and how much I want to change that. How I want to renew my mind and think differently about that situation and show genuine concern like Timothy did. What a great example. We had a a girl at church or at camp last summer at our winter retreats. We have about 600 kids come every summer for our winter retreats. And we have a time of prayer. We have a morning service. And uh, after the morning service, we take about a 15-minute break. And then we usually have about an hour and a half prayer meeting. That's just one of my favorite times at camp. And a part of the prayer meeting as we, we do different things. The Ephesians says we're supposed to have all kinds of prayers and all kinds of occasions. Uh, and, and so we try to do different types of prayers. And one of the prayers that we do is we have one student from every church. They stand up and they pray for their city and their church. We think that's a biblical thing to do. And, and this girl last year, she got up and she started praying for her church that she just attended. She started the, church, the prayer by saying, you know, God, you know, I just started attending this church and I, I love Pastor Mike and I love Pastor Nathan. And she went through their church staff and then she paused at the end of her prayer after praying for the city and said, God, I want to pray for my old church. They've fallen out of love with you. They're hurting. Please help. This is a sophomore girl crying over her church. I made a commitment that day. to show concern because I didn't want that sophomore girl crying by herself. Who's going to cry for the churches that are suffering in our state? Who's going to cry for churches that are suffering around our nation? Who's going to cry for the church of Ukraine? I'm asking God to break my heart, to break your heart and show concern for those around. Sorry for getting emotional. This year, the same girl prays. I'm so excited when she raised her hand and she says, thank God my church, my old church is doing better. It's still on her heart a year later. Thank God that they're doing better. And I rejoiced with her in that moment. Now i got 30 seconds to get the last point done. Pastor Tim's never gone over in the history of the church, I know. I know that I'm a liar when I said that. That's why I know. So, all right. All right. The last one is self-sacrifice from Epaphroditus. Look what God's Word says. I thought it necessary to send you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister in my need, for he's been longing for you all and had been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, that I should have sorrow, that I should have, lest I have sorrow, sorrow upon sorrow. 
I am even more the eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious to receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. See, we have the example, lastly, of Epaphroditus, who served other churches to the point that he got sick. He almost lost his life. He did for others way beyond what was practical, yet necessary. And my question is, do we serve others like that to the point of self-sacrifice? And, and, and notice, the, the, this is called inclusion here because he starts with the example of Christ. And he says, Christ in his humility was exalted by God. So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He exalted Christ for humility. Notice at the end here. Notice what he said to people who are like Epaphroditus. Notice what it says. It says, honor such men. I think think Paul is trying to tell us there's, there's something about this. That just the way that God honored Christ, that when we see people around us self sacrificing in their love for others, when they have that kind of attitude, that's the kind of person we should honor. We should exalt that person just like God exalted Jesus Christ. You know, there's churches, even your size, they'll look at a church, another city over, and they say, hey, they're struggling. We'll take, let's take five of our best families from this church, Tim, and go to one town over. Would that hurt? In fact, you might say, we may not survive if we took our five families and did that. That's self-sacrifice. See how that works? It doesn't make sense on paper, but that's kind of the way God wants us to live our lives. We're going to honor that sort of people. And I think these four things, as we look at these, we both, um, oh, here's a, another verse that says this, if anyone would come after me, this is Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for my sake, and the gospels will save it. See, Jesus knows that we have this sense of wanting self-preservation, it's all about me, and he says, no, we need to be self-sacrificial, especially when it comes to the gospel. So we have these four areas, humility, joy, concern, sacrifice. We all have one of these that we probably do really well. We probably have another one that we need some help in. I bet one of these your church does really well, and another one your church needs some really help in. So as we close our message today, I ask you, how can you show the attitude of one of these in a better way this week? Let me pray for you. Father, we've gone long with the message today, but we thank you for your word. We thank you for the practicality, 
Father, help us put off our old ways of thinking of selfishness and arrogance and pridefulness. Help us to submit to your word. Help us to follow these examples. And Father, we'll never do it perfectly, but help us to grow in these areas. Help us to put off wrong thinking, rethink things, and put on the righteous actions that you have. Father, once again, we pray for our church in Ukraine, for your church in Ukraine. Father, we pray that you'd be a comfort to those people today. Father, we pray that the church, regardless of what happens in the political context, will thrive, even under times of persecution. And Father, help us to love those people well. In Jesus' name, amen.